First of all, Gary, thank you for being on. Let's talk about the current real estate market. and Talk about buttered sausage. Talk about buttered sausage, where it comes from, what it does. Why is it doing what it's doing? Get it out of my face. Buttered sausage. Buttered sausage. I take it real estate's not your jam. It's not my jam. I don't buy jam. I buy honey, and I kiss it on the lips. Oh, my God. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo. Hi. I'm still recovering. <laughs> I am too. Can you tell by my voice? Yeah, you you still you sound like you're getting a little bit. You're, you sound a little more healthier. Uh, well, no, I lost my voice and now it's coming back. Yeah, it's it's coming. But you but your voice didn't sound as as hoarse. <laughs> Thanks. Are you trying to say I look like a horse? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say you're horse faced. I'd say you're horse voiced. <laughs> I take that as a compliment because I really like horses. So that's fine. Well, I think part of it is we went out with your mates last night, which. Um, we'll get into in the second show, but I uh, got kind of drunk. Very. And then, then I think the other reason is because uh, uh, the, the British Chinese food that you forced me to eat, that's what I'm recovering from. So it's the combination of the British Chinese food and the heavy, like the heavy drinking on Botchergate. To be fair, I didn't think the, I should have ordered you like the iconic sweet and sour uh, meal so you could have seen what that was really like I also didn't think the Kung Pao was going to come the way it did but you know that's that's British Chinese food it's well, it's not even Chinese in any way with a sweet and sour food look look something different than the orange gelatinous goo with it, peanuts and like assorted bell peppers floating the, in it the same but red like a fluorescent red. Uh, bright red. Brighter than blood. It didn't even look fit for human consumption. I, you got this thing, and I was expecting, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm used to, like, better Chinese food because in uh, L.A. you get decent Chinese food. This is British Chinese food, which is different. It's, it's kind of like British beast. curry, though. Like, we invented this, this cuisine, and that's what it is. That's what we like. Brits. It's a whole different beast. Like you guys put your spin on it, but whatever the spin you're putting on with Chinese food, it's unnatural. <laughs> it is. It's, I'm gonna it's, miss the chips. <laughs> oh, it made me feel. It made me feel sick. Like I ate it. At least it's spicy. I took like one bite and I was just like, I felt like I was gonna like retch. Like it. It just. It was so sweet, and kind of like yeah, sweet and kind of spicy, but also just syrupy. Yeah, yeah, you're basically describing every British Chinese food there. It makes Panda Express look like a Michelin-rated restaurant. <laughs> it's about the like same. It's, it's a, that's what it, like after I was having it, I'm like, I wonder if my brother would even eat this. Uh, oh, he would love it. I think Jeffrey would be so happy with British Chinese food. Oh, it, yeah, it was vile. I'm probably going to pass on that. But, but this week, since it's our last week here, uh, before we head back to L.A., I definitely want to get more fish and chips. Yes, I cannot eat enough fish and chips. Because you'll never get that in the U.S. Like Absolutely it is here. not. You know what I found funny, though? Of all the horrible, disgusting comments I've made on the show over the years, the thing that elicit, elicited the most messages to me was the Americans. I must have got about six messages just from them saying, hey, 
we do fish and chips really well here. And then they would send me a picture of like their local fish Not and chips. Same. And I was like, that isn't even fish and chips. What, what the fuck are you playing at me? Like, come even, on. Even the British malt vinegar <laughs> is different. Yeah. And, and there's no mushy peas. Has to have mushy peas. If there's yeah. not mushy peas on it, then there's not fish and chips. It's not real. It's not so legit. No, it doesn't count. And, and fucking Long John Silver's is not... It's, fish and it's chips. It's not fish and chips. The fish should be one whole piece of fish. It shouldn't be like little bits of... Like who eats little bits of fish? Like unless you're eating scampi, which That's is a whole a different piece. big ass chunk of fish. Gotta be a big ass chunk of fish. That's and, just been and, and good. And you gotta get good French fries. Like fries and it's not, not steak fries. cut fries either. It's chips. Yeah. Right? It's, it's British chips. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I'm full on board. I'm fully, fully on board with you on this. Because I grew up in South Africa. We had like real British chips. And so I was used to eating it. And then, you know, my dad obviously was aficionado. And so um, coming over here, going to that one place up the street from you, it's like, we're the best fish and chips places I think I've had. I am very lucky I live next to a very good fish chippy. and chip shop. Because, I mean, chippy. tell you what, finding a good one can be hard at times. What do you think, like, what do you think um, Lucy Letby, <laughs> our new official Sick and Wrong spokeswoman, she is. Uh, thinks of fish and chips? I mean, she's pretty much a beige girl, you know? She's a beige girl. I bet she loves fish and chips. She probably eats them on the traditional days, you know? On a Friday is when she'll go and get her bit of fish. Do they give English prisoners fish and chips? I wonder if they... Probably it'll be like a fish-farmed thing, won't we? It wouldn't necessarily be a real fish and chip. Yeah, I wonder if they... Well, I wonder... Because, I mean, usually, like, English prisons, I imagine, must be more hospitable than U.S. ones. I mean, the food is still just as disgusting. I bet you get fish fingers instead of chip, instead of fish. It'll be, like, fish fingers, chips, and beans. That's an iconic British meal. I wonder if you get mushy peas. Not with that, because you've got the beans on the side, David. <laughs> Gross. Um, Lucy Leppy is our new official uh, spokesperson, if she wants to be or not. And I gotta say, thanks for the Photoshop there, WD... Puck wedgie, which I think is British slang for uh, rectal thermometers, but I'm not sure. Does that mean it, it could be? It could be. It could be. Like a, a puck wedgie is just something you shove in your ass to take your temperature. It does sound like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to say, you did a great job with it. Even incorporated the new Satan designs that I made on the, uh, the T Public store. Um, I, you know, on that note, I think the Baphomet Sick and Wrong tie dye. I love it. Yeah, it's pink and purple, and I think it'll be a big seller. Yeah, I love it. Once people notice it. But but anyway, you know, it's funny because I, I, I've obviously been following the Lucy Leppi story this week because we're going to talk about it, did a lot more research. But looking at her, do you find her attractive in any way? I'm not going to say I think she has special needs, but I think she has special needs. <laughs> I mean... At least Casey Anthony was fit. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely one of the hotter ones, for sure. Yeah, but just looking at Lucy Leppi, I was like, she, she kind of made me, it, it gave me painful reminders of when I was on Scottish Tinder so many years ago. Oh, my God. Like, the women just kind of looked like that, just sort of generic. And in fact, I'll take it one step further with Lucy Leppi. She kind of looks like Prince William in drag. Mm, yeah okay well yeah look yeah. at their faces I'm, I'm picturing it i'm picturing it she's I'm just gonna, i'm gonna put a picture i'm gonna like juxtapose these two images lucy leppy and prince william and just think of her if she had like sh you know if she was balding 
I think they look the same. Lucy Letby, bless her, is one of those girls that even when she goes on like a Prosecco girly night out with all her pals, you know, once in a blue moon, she still doesn't put on makeup or do her hair. Do you know what I mean? She just goes out like she is. And you're just like, oh, come on, Lucy. Like for a bit of like, you know, glitter on your hunchback, you'll look lovely. Mascara or something. Just, yeah, put a little mascara on. Maybe like a boy will be interested in you. Bless. But I Bless think that's her. why the most common adjective you'll see in the media to use to describe her is beige. Beige. <laughs> Can you imagine she is that beige. they call you beige? That's like you're average. Oh, I'd be so insulted if somebody called me beige. <laughs> I mean, she's the personification of a beige buffet. She is. Oh. <laughs> but one thing she is, well, according to uh, the, the recent conviction, she is Britain's most prolific child killer. For now. So there you go. 33-year-old Lucy Letby. Uh, she was sentenced last Tuesday to an unprecedented 14 whole life sentences, which uh, means she'll die in prison. Um, a judge said that she displayed malevolence bordering on sadism. She didn't, harsh, but okay. Harsh. But yeah, she was found guilty of seven counts of murder against seven babies. And then seven counts of attempted murder against six babies. And then not guilty on two counts of attempted murder. Um, and she's the fourth woman in UK history to, um, and the third living to be given a whole life order. Which I never even heard that term. It's basically no parole, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The whole life order is the most severe sentence which can be imposed in a UK criminal court. And it's different from this, a regular life sentence. Because if you're found guilty of murder, you're given a life sentence. But a life sentence doesn't mean you'll spend the rest of your life in prison. It does not. Yeah. Like you could be paroled. However, uh, you'll be on a license though, basically on parole for your entire life after your release. But yeah. you will be released from prison. Whereas a whole life order means that you'll spend your rest the rest of your life in prison, no possibility of parole. And I think it's insane what they've given her. Well, I mean, it's reserved for the most serious crimes that anyone could commit, and killing seven babies and attempting to kill seven more is a serious crime. Now, whether or not she did it? Uh -huh. That's what we're well, going to talk about. That remains to be seen. Uh, interesting note, though, the other three women, women who uh, received this. Oh, wait, sentence, I know. You mean, no, she's the third, isn't she? No, there's four. Oh, okay. So, so there's I'll, three. All right. Well, we already know Myra and Rose have to be two of them. So Myra Hindley. Yeah. Um, Rose West. They're probably the two most famous ones. And Joanna Dennehy, who we've covered here on the show before. Yeah, she was the, uh, the killer nanny. Wasn't the, she? No, the Peterborough Ditch Murder. Oh, her. Murder. Yeah, Murderous. the mad one. Yeah, the mad yeah, one. She, uh, yeah, she killed three men. Like, all, 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 the, all three of her victims were male, all died from stab wounds, and all, the bodies were all dumped in ditches. Yeah, I remember her now. And she had face tats, didn't she? Yeah. Oh, she looks gnarly. <laughs> See, you couldn't describe her as beige, though. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> not beige. She's got a face <laughs> Mental, not beige. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are questioning this conviction here of Lucy Lepi, questioning whether or not she actually even murdered any of these babies. I, yeah, and I don't think she did. Well, a fundraiser has been launched to uh, appeal her conviction. Uh, the organizer here have claimed that, that the conviction represents the greatest miscarriage of justice the UK has ever witnessed. One and of it, them. It's interesting. Uh, this woman named Sarita Adams, I know uh, you definitely researched her site, um, but she's a scientific consultant for a biotech startup based in California. And she said that scientific evidence needs to be used responsibly for any criminal court conviction like this. And the fact that they didn't, and she points out 
the the various mistakes. I mean, it was a completely incompetent investigation, and she points it out exactly. Like uh, in her analysis, I think I mean she's confident that it's going to uh, cause this case case to come back up to trial as it should do, and possibly, and in it being overturned as it should because. I think she's totally innocent and they've just railroaded her and it, it, all because of this one fucking Welsh prick. Which we get into. We get into gonna, uh, the, the details. I'm going to get angry. <laughs> the details beyond Kate's theories here. But I think a lot of people, though, who think she's innocent want her to be innocent because she just doesn't look or seem like nah. a person capable of committing these crimes. Look, nobody would be happier for there to be a gnarly child killer in the UK than me. But I just think it's more a case of you shouldn't be locking people up when there's no forensic evidence for to get the sentence she has as well. To, you shouldn't be handing that to people when there is... It's kind of like the West Memphis Free. What has she actually been convicted of? Well, Nothing. Exactly. Like, there's, there's no hard forensic evidence. There's no DNA. There's no eyewitness. There's no video you know, footage. Her smothering babies. You know, unlike all the other people who were previously convicted of this type of crime... Like, there is actual evidence tying them to the crime. Yes, there's which, none. For this. I mean, I've, 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 I've seen some circumstantial evidence in this case, but nothing, nothing tangible. Yeah. Nothing hard. But I think that's the thing, is people look at her and they're like, she doesn't look, look, look like a serial killer. You know, she doesn't have a basement full of body parts. Yeah, but now, neither did Harold Shipman. But exactly, he didn't either. But I think he had, he had a financial motive. That's a thing. I don't think Lucy Leppe even has a motive. Yeah, as far as we know. What is it? The three M's of means motive to the murder. That's what you're looking for. But it's not like, I mean, she had a diary, but it's not like she had a manifesto where she planned out killing all these babies. You know, it's, she didn't even like Google. How do you kill babies? Yeah. It, she's been, it's been fucked up what's happened to her, I think. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely think the, the crux of the issue here is, is, is the lack of forensic evidence. So, you know, she wasn't seen in, in any, she wasn't seen in any way physically harming these babies. And so, I don't know, was she the victim of like ex an extraordinary set of circumstances and coincidences? I, I'm not, I don't know. She's the victim of a Welsh cunt. That's who she is. She's another victim, another kid child killed by this Welsh man. Well, this week we're going to chat about Kate Rambo's theories on the reason Lucy Letby is not a remorseless serial killer, but rather the hapless victim of an NHS cover-up. So we'll find out about that in a second. Before we get into all that, let's chat about something much funnier than all the dead baby jokes you're going to hear in about five minutes. Um, the sick and wrong patron. Way funnier than dead baby jokes here. Uh, if you like what we do, and you listen to us every week, we just ask, ask for your support. We're not asking for a lot of money. We don't want a lot of money. But, uh, you know, we'd like a little bit of money so we can keep the show going. And by that, I mean five bucks a month. That's it. For just $5 a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Patron, and you get access to the Sick and Wrong Second Show, which is an entirely second show we do every week here. Uh, this week on Second Show... It, uh, we chat about the uh, sick and wrong meetup that we did last uh, Saturday in uh, Camden. That was wild. Yes, I'm that still recovering from that as well. It was so much fun. You never know who who will turn up at those things. Yeah. You don't. And I just, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> get into it on the second show. Uh, we also chat about our severely hungover train ride back to Carlisle. 
Uh, that was rough. That was rough. And then we also go into detail about the uh, the status of uh, Kate's house right now. Yeah, you were slagging off for all the things I'm leaving behind. Well, one of them in particular is a deformed porcelain tiger that she refuses to include within her zoo. You're not having the retard tiger. You're an ableist. It's, it's going it's to mine. Claudia. It's mine. Sorry, What, Claudia. because you care about the retards now all of a sudden? I do have a fondness for the retarded. <laughs> the trainables. <laughs> that tiger's going to be slipped into uh, your luggage. Well, it can't because my, my bugs are chocker, mate. Good luck to you. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Five bucks a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong on Patreon. And uh, you also uh, can become a member of the Sick and Wrong Discord. And you don't even have to sign up for Patreon now to uh, support Sick and Wrong because we're on Apple Podcasts. We have the subscriptions going, which is a lot easier if you think about it. You don't have to like get a whole other app and do all that. Um, but so, yeah, just go to Apple Podcasts where you normally listen to the show and just subscribe to the uh, second show. You can sign up that way, too. And for a few bucks more, uh, you get all the extras on Patreon. The Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is our bonus minisode, as well as the archives, uh, which I'm currently in the process of uploading to Apple Podcasts. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. We do appreciate the support there. Uh, let me play this quick Patreon promo from JoJo Kelly. And then uh, let's chat about Lucy Leppi, Britain's most prolific child killer, question mark. <laughs> Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, so you guys listen to Dave Matthews. You yeah, got a yeah, water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, and She's then... like, come to the boudoir. Right. right. The boudoir. The, the boudoir. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you... she, is, she is the type of woman who would call it a boudoir. Right. So, so you go in there. When did you see, first encounter the smell? Uh, I think it's like when I pulled off her pants. Oh, so you pulled her panties down. Wow, and, just when you, I, what, pants or panties? No, 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 pants panties, are trousers still here. panties still on. Strong whiff. Oh, through Whoa. the panties? Yeah. That's intense. That's intense. Right. That's intense. And I noticed. And so you're like, I got to go further. And I was that. like, I got to get my head in there. <laughs> I got to put my tongue in that. <laughs> I got to inspect a little closer. <laughs> I got to find Nemo. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever Okay, Dee, so I've got a dead baby joke for you before we get into this. Very right. serious episode. <laughs> Let's have a classic dead baby joke. So the, the best way to start off a serious uh, defense <laughs> of Lucy Lepe is with a dead baby joke. Everyone has their favorite dead baby joke as well. And this is mine. What's 12 inches long, black and blue, and makes mothers cry? Mm, I'm not sure. What? Cot death. Cot death. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, What's the difference between a dead baby and a granola bar? Oh, I don't know. About 500 calories. <laughs> Terrible. Really? <laughs> I would think there would be a lot more calories in a dead baby than 500. it depends on how big the baby is. You know, because babies don't have, like, proper bones, I imagine that you could just, like, chow down on a baby. 
Like it wouldn't matter. Yeah, but if they're like smaller, like if they're like premium, like a prematurely born baby or something. A pre- I was a preemie, you know. A preemie. Yeah, I, I was born. Tell. I was born nearly two months early. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I'm a preemie. <laughs> so the Lucy Letby case, it's huge at the minute. Uh, like Dee was saying, she's only the third woman alive to be handed a whole life jail term as she was sentenced for murdering seven babies and trying to kill another set, a six. Her 10-month trial was presented with evidence uh, that she would strike when parents or other nurses and doctors um, had left the infant's side. The evidence presented is that she fatally injected seven babies with air, but anyone who reads William S. Burroughs will know that he said that if air bubbles killed you, then every junkie on earth would be dead by now. Well, isn't that why they, like, flick the uh, syringe? Yeah, but a little air bubble isn't going to kill you. Like, you need a fucking lot of air to kill you. She also apparently tried to kill two other babies by lacing their feeding bags with insulin, and another she apparently attempted to murder by thrusting a nasogastric tube down their throat. Her name is now associated with evil in the same way that Myra Hindley's is, but is this 33-year-old nurse actually the worst baby killer in modern British history, or has there been a huge miscarriage of justice, and is she being used as a cover-up for a bigger crime? Oh, we're going to answer that. Oh, yeah. As with all serial killers and criminals, we begin with their past to try and understand and unravel their actions in the here and now. So she's born January the 4th, 1990, uh, in a, a Capricorn, love me a Capricorn, into a middle-class home with middle-class parents in middle-class um, Hereford. Her parents are Susan and John, you know, just two also very beige people. They're very doting. They, the jury was trying to present it that maybe to the point of suffocating her, and she felt like she couldn't ever go anywhere. But her birth had been difficult. She'd actually nearly died in birth. And it was because of this that had made her want to be a nurse from an early age. So even when she's a kid, she knows she's going to grow up and be a nurse. Hmm. I wasn't a kid like that. I used to think I would be a vet. But then when I realized you had to kill the animals, I was like, oh, well, it's not going to happen because I'll be a writer then. <laughs> well, my whole thing is I don't like <laughs> emptying bedpans. So I, I don't think I'd be a good nurse. No. <laughs> She was the first in her family to go to university. She attended the University of Chester and she graduated with honors in child nursing in September of 2011. And their family celebrated with a family trip to Torquay where they would go two or three times a year. Also very beige, very British. Is that like a caravan park? Torquay, yeah, there will be caravans down there. It's down Cornwall Way, like Mm. I've been to Torquay. She lived alone in a semi-detached home in Chester. She had two cats who were probably very cute, named Tigger and Smudge. And her bedroom is very B&M for a 33-year-old. My God. She had a Sweet Dreams duvet cover, fairy lights on the edge of the bed, cuddly toys. And she did have B&M wall art saying, leave sparkles wherever you go. Or air in baby's veins. <laughs> <laughs> What's, B&M? What's B&M? B&M is like... I should probably take you in one. We can go in one tomorrow. They sell everything. It's kind of like, kind of like a, a Ross maybe. Oh, or like a, a Ross or a Marshalls or something. Yeah, but they don't sell clothes. Okay. Do they sell like crafts, like craft they, goods? Yeah, they they sell craft, craft and crap and food. And you can get like, one of my favorite insults used to be saying that your mum buys a meat from B&M. <laughs> <laughs> Only British people get it. Um, Her neighbors rarely saw her, which sounds familiar to me. Uh, Her hobbies included buying B&M wall art. (laughs) Apparently. 
<laughs> not decorating her beige flat, going to the gym. She was very much a Prosecco girly. She wrote in her diary. And all of these things are going to come back to haunt her, especially buying artwork from B&M. Well, we're not going to stop talking about that it. That is a crime, by the way. That should be punishable by life in jail. <laughs> if you buy B&M wall art, don't stop it. What are you doing? But it sort of fits her character. It does, but yeah. she should stop it. Well, so you know what's interesting is like a lot of people are like, she doesn't seem like a serial killer at all. But I was reading this uh, this uh, uh, doctor who, or this psych- uh, psychiatrist here who um, put together a, a, like a, a whole study and assessment uh, for the Journal of Forensic Psychiatry and Psychology in 2015. He said that uh, according to cases analyzed in the U.S., we found that nearly 40% of female serial killers are nurses, nurses, aides, or other healthcare workers. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and so they use the term FSK for female serial killer. And they found that uh, through their analysis here that an FSK is usually typically white, probably Christian, average looking, maybe mildly attractive, in her 20s or 30s when the crimes start. She has an elevated probability of being a healthcare worker, often in charge of caring for those who are helpless, uh, those familiar to her at risk, especially vulnerable people such as infants and the sick. Uh, she may murder for money or power. She may be arrogant at times or withdrawn and uh, may have experienced a recent relationship issue. Most FSKs, though, are married, and let me never was. Uh, most FSKs do not keep souvenirs of their crimes, which Leppy did. Um, she had patient records. She had a, a you know, diary with victim initials and death dates and cards. Um, most tend to have a documented history of uh, mental illness, about 40%, which Leppy does not. And uh, many FSKs had uh, parental issues, like most serial killers, which Leppy had a good relationship with her parents. Yeah, and all of that they're saying, like, they're obviously studying serial killers from America. And, yeah, they're going to be people who over in the healthcare thing because female serial killers just aren't as common as male well, no, definitely killers. not but i mean i think it's it's an easy way when you're in healthcare or you're yeah. caring for someone someone vulnerable i think it's an easier way to be an angel of death so lucy had carried out work placements during her degree at liverpool women's hospital and the countess of chester hospital which kept her on as an employee when her placement ended and she began working as a registered nurse in the neonatal unit of the countess of chester in 2012 where she cared for a wide range of babies that all required various levels of support. She got on well with pretty much all her other colleagues, and she did a ton of overtime. She would work weekends, and she was actually once chosen to be the face of a fundraising campaign at the hospital. Bless. One fellow gossiping nurse said she didn't stand out as a particularly bad nurse, but she didn't stand out as a particularly good nurse, excelling in anything. That's one thing that I I noticed while reading through... um... You know, a lot of uh, the, the interviews they had with people who worked with her and also some of the doctors seemed like it was kind of a toxic work environment. Yeah. Like she didn't like there was no camaraderie there and people were more than willing to throw someone under the bus. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to be on this ward. Let's put it like that. I yeah. think there are more fun wards you could be on. But I think they're also stressed out. They obviously weren't paid, paid well. People were like and th- that's the other thing, too, like people. And needed to take breaks, and so she was always willing to to come in and and you know uh, work an extra shift, which makes means people will yeah. like you because it's like oh if I really want to get that day off, I know Lucy will work it or she'll swap swap her shift for me. I know she'll just do it. But I think they're also kind of like 
Well, Lucy could do it. She's not married. She doesn't have kids. Yeah, maybe she's a bit dim and we could push her around. Yeah. So in her unit, there was a team of about 30 nurses, seven pediatric consultants, and they're going to provide 24 hour of care for the hundreds of premature babies that are born each year. Yeah. Some, be some premature babies, I learned this, are born as early as 12 weeks, only weighing little more than a pound. Like, come on. <laughs> Tw just, just put it in the bin. Like, yeah, just try point. again. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? Anyway, <laughs> despite this, the studies show that for every thousand babies born in the UK each year, fewer than two die. And up until 2015, it was the national average with between one to three dying at the hospital. Which seems rather low, but I mean, your population isn't as high as like other. You know, like it's not states. as high. And we've yeah. got, you know, a high, you know, we've got the NHS apparently doing its job. In June of that year, free, free, I sound like a, um, uh, what's his name? Alan Partridge, Steve Coogan, when he's on the day to day. Have you seen that? In when he's... June of that year. <laughs> no, when he's uh, the uh, lifeguard at the swimming pool, he's like, in 1985, no one died. In 1986, no one died. In June of this year, three infants died and a fourth nearly died, all without warning. So this information, it was forwarded to an informal review where it was noted that Lucy had been present at all the deaths. So had other nurses, but the committee classified them as medical errors rather than serious incidents involving deaths, meaning that no investigation is going to take place. I will say this woman's name wrong, but it is a beautiful no uh, name. Arian Powell or Arian Powell? Not like Arian, like a Not Nazi like the Nazi Arian, but it's but, a beautiful yeah. name. She's the neonatal unit manager at the hospital. She actually really liked Lucy. She called her exceptional. And she had also noticed, noticed that Lucy had been present for the deaths. And she voiced concerns to a lead neonatalologist in October of 2015, but it was ignored. I think this probably happens a lot, though, when you're, you're going to somebody who's further up in front of you and you're voicing your concerns. And they're probably just like, yeah, whatever, keep an eye on it. I mean, it's managers everywhere. I speak from experience of shit. You've got to go to the fucking top dog. You don't go to the, your next manager. Well, I imagine if it was just like one nurse mentioning it, I could see like, oh, let's just see if it happens again. But if there's like several nurses mentioning yeah. this issue and the strange coincidence that this woman has been present for all the baby deaths, I mean, at that point, I'd be like, yeah, maybe we should take a look at this. Install a couple security cameras or something. Well, I mean, that was an issue on the ward. They were going to do that, and the nurses hated it because I would hate it too. I'd be like, I don't want cameras watching me when I'm just here doing my job. You, Fuck you. You fucking Britain has CCTV cameras everywhere. Yeah, not Who well. Cares? I suppose I'm saying that, and I worked in a place that was yeah. heavily secure. <laughs> I had tons of cameras. What do you have to hide, K Rambo? I did. I used to know where all the cameras were. By February of 2016, they were conducting a review of five unexplained deaths and collapses in the unit where Lucy had been present, but again, no actions taken. In June of 2016, seven unexpected deaths had occurred. The lead neonatologist was still happy for Lucy to work on the ward as there was a general consensus that there was actually a witch hunt against her. And this was also because they didn't want to damage the trust's reputation. So again, police are involved, but... Lucy, unhappily for her, was made, made to move off the ward. In October, they reported that they couldn't find a definitive explanation for the increase in deaths in the unit, but they did present information that the ward was understaffed by both nurses and seniors, and not to mention underfunded, but they might as well just be talking about <laughs> yeah. the whole of the NHS. Which hospital? Yeah, exactly. 
Ultimately, they did conclude that the deaths in the unit were mainly down to lack of leadership and the lack of staff to attend to the dying babies. And not Lucy. Well, so, okay. So they do this, this whole review. But what are the consequences? What happened? Seems like nothing changed. Yeah, because they're probably like, yeah, you're understaffed, but guess what? Every other ward's understaffed. Get on with it. So it's an exercise in futility. It's like they go out there, yeah, you know, we're understaffed and there's, you know, there's, there's deaths happening, but leadership kind of sucks. So that's probably why. So, oh, well, more babies are going to die. <laughs> they might as well have told the dead baby joke at that point. Yeah, I would have. I mean, they did, the hospital did respond because they stopped taking in. So uh, the ward kind of became less specialized later on. But this is why Lucy filed a formal grievance against her transfer. Her grievance was upheld and her removal was found to have been orchestrated by the consultants with no hard evidence. They might as well just be talking about her jury then. The medical doctor met with Lucy and her parents in December to formally apologize. They even offered her a role at the neonatal unit at the Alderhey Children's Hospital in Liverpool. And they were probably doing that because it's like, hey, if you're going to kill kids, you might as well kill them in Liverpool because we don't care. <laughs> She's going to go there so she can do her master's. And they even sent her, they had to send her a formal apology letter in February of 2017 too. But by March, the police became involved and Operation Hummingbird was launched. So how did the police get involved though? Did uh, the hospital end up contacting the police? Were the police like, okay, yeah, this is weird that there's been this many babies dying in such a short, short span of time? I think they had to do it. It was like a form. It was like the review had gotten that far. So I think they had to note it with the police. Oh, okay. So and now the so police are involved. Yeah. But how did all this very circumstantial witch hunt evidence lead to a life sentence for Lucy Letby? The police arrested Lucy on eight counts of murder and six counts of attempted murder on July the 3rd, 2018, after a year-long investigation. And before she received bail, she was fi uh, finally charged with eight counts of murder and 10 counts of attempted murder. Lucy denied all charges. She blamed the deaths on hospital hygiene and uh, them being understaffed. So I got a lot of uh, data from Chimp Investor, which is like, it's a really cool, like kind of blog site. There's loads of different stuff on it, but I just love looking at graphs but I think and scientific they, things. But I think they got the information from that, the woman who started that fundraiser. From, yeah, this uh, is all part of it. Yeah, Science on Trial. So uh, the writer of this article says, it's pretty bold to even charge her with as many connections to the crimes. If you look at the neonatal deaths data, which was taken from the official Chester Hospital document that was made public as a result of a Freedom of Information request, which was reviewed by the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, the RCPCH, you can see the factual evidence that they investigated 10 of the neonatal deaths that occurred from June 2015 until January 26, uh, 2016. Of these, Lucy was charged with just three deaths. The other seven they could not connect her to. So that's suspect. That's already weird. The police later charged her with murders that occurred in August and October, but the data reflects that there were zero deaths recorded on the ward during these months, right? In 2015 and 16, she was accused of murder in relation to seven of the neonatal deaths, but there were 11 that she was not implicated for, presumably because she could not have been responsible at all. In fact, the defense in its opening lines said that she could not have been responsible for some of the seven deaths that she had been connected to. 
So to get kind of technical here, if we are assuming deaths are independent of each other and they're occurring at a rate of 2.7 per year, the average of 2013, 2014, and 2017, then the odds of there being 11 deaths, the ones that Letby had not been accused of, over a two-year period, purely by chance, is 1 in 83. Yeah, it doesn't seem very probable. No. This is totally different to Beverly Allett, whom wannabe criminologists are saying Lucy Letby is the new version of. She was found guilty in 1993 of murdering four infants and attempting to kill three more. And uh, she also had, uh, did GBH to six more infants in Lincolnshire. But roster data showed that she was present for all 25 suspicious incidents that were investigated. Yeah, it's interesting because they're saying that she's a copycat murderer yeah like she copied she's a boring. copycat of beverly allett and uh, or was inspired by her and one of the detectives who investigated allett uh, Stuart clifton he claims that allett always wanted to be the center of attention she wanted to be the one that was present the one that raised the alarm the one that when the ambulance for the child when uh that when it was transferred to another hospital it was like she was putting herself center stage so maybe a part of this was to show that she was capable of doing the job, but then it went a bit further. It went to the stage of her causing the injury that then her actions could be highlighted. Yeah. So with Alit, it was this desire to be recognized, to be needed. And that's what he suspects is similar with Lucy Lepe, is that she needed to be recognized, like she needed to be needed. Um, Alit, however, uh, they claim that she was suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy which is kind of a rare syndrome where a parent or caregiver gives an injury, usually to a child, to then gain attention as the carer. So in the Leppy case... Gypsy Rose, man. That's yeah, all I can Rose, think. Exactly. Gypsy Rose. In the Leppy case, while the prosecution did not directly put forward a motive for the attacks, but they claimed that she was an attention seeker and possibly suffering from the same uh, um, Munchausen by proxy. I'm an attention seeker. Lucy Letby is not an attention seeker in any way whatsoever. She's beige. How can you be an attention seeker and be beige? You can't be both. She doesn't seem like it. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the thing. Like, she's just ignored. She's so average. She's so normal. Maybe this is a way she can stand out. Yeah, I don't think your mind first goes to murder. Maybe it goes to instead of just buying like a dress from Dorothy Perkins, or maybe go and buy a dress from Quiz. That's, that's what you would do. But possibly, you know, it could be possible that maybe she was trying to, like, not kill the babies, but put the babies in harm so she can come in out and be the heroine. Like, she's going to be like, I saved this baby, and then the parents would love her, and she'd get the adoration that she didn't receive elsewhere. Maybe, but she seems to have a pretty stable home life, so... Yeah, that's why it doesn't... It, the, the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle don't fit with her. The high death rate is obviously going to fall in 2017 because Lucy's transferred, but that's also because the neonatal ward was downgraded and they no longer provided care for such high-risk babies, as in they couldn't afford to do it anymore. The cumulative infant mortality rate at the Countess of Chester Hospital for 2015 and 2016 was actually lower than the national average, but the number of perinatal deaths in 2017 and 2018 was higher than in 2015 and 2016. And obviously Lucy wasn't on the wards during this time, but a senior consultant, Dr. John Gibbs, he was still on the wards. Now that's interesting. So, yes. so the perinatal death rate was actually higher after Lucy Letby yeah. left. Yeah. Because everyone keeps saying that, well, as soon as Lucy left, the death, the mortality rates decreased. They didn't. But no, it doesn't seem like it. 
So it was Dr. Gibbs who first led the investigation against Lucy and was one of the doctors who also was forced to apologize to her and he had to help um, write the formal letter of apology. He has since retired, but the consultant pediatrician and TV star and definite attention seeker, Dr. Ravi um, Jayaram, all state that they've raised concerns about Lucy and no one attempted to make any form of police inquiry and both men blame the trust for not acting any further. It's a lot of game of like pointing fingers at this point. But as far as the trust could see, no murders had occurred and there is no scientific evidence that any of the babies have been murdered either. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's entirely plausible that these babies weren't murdered, but maybe they died because the hospital was understaffed, poorly run. Um, you know, people were saying that there was sewage coming out of the drains. That's a big thing. And, and Lucy sinks. reported the sewage. Yeah. She was one of the nurses who, like, the plumber had to come out two, like, two days a week for year, for ages. And Lucy was one of the people who would ring in. We'll get into the what that could have caused as well. But it was also, you know, in the trial, they showed that there's terrible data records there, terrible note-keeping. Um, they didn't even how much, uh, uh, not even many procedures were ever actually officially put in place. Um, and yeah, as you said before, the perinatal death rate, in fact, rose after he was arrested and still births were at a, at a, 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 you know, at a high as well. So the hospital was still receiving an unusually high number of babies and they're also at a higher risk. So, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is the deaths didn't stop. After no. <laughs> Lucy was pulled from the ward. So, I mean, that should say something. And this is interesting, too. I read in a couple of their articles that other maternity wards where this happened. So, uh, what they say? Shrewsbury, Nottingham, East Kent. There have been detailed assessments and reviews into the hospital and why things were failing. Yeah. Why there were issues. And they did detailed analyses of whether this was a disease outbreak, whether the care was inadequate, um, you know, whether processes that they had were inadequate. Or if the staffing, you know, if, they, if the staffing was, you know, um, that they're understaffed, but they didn't conclude the presence of a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. So it's really because it's fucking bonkers. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's just really odd that the first thing that they would do at the County of Chester Hospital would be like, well, I think you know, sure, we got some sewage, we got hospital waste overflowing here, um, and yeah, lots of babies are dying. Got to be a serial killer. Yeah, you know, that's the first thing that they did. And they all pinpointed Lucy Lepe. Because she was there, even though there were other nurses who were all there. Yeah. So here comes a super cunt, Welsh doctor, Dewey Evans. So he first established a possible link that the babies had been murdered. He is a retired consultant pediatrician, and he was one of the two experts. Quote, unquote. <laughs> yeah, who gave detailed medical findings to Cheshire police during their investigations. In fact, Dr. Evans drove from his home in Wales to Chester to offer himself up as a potential witness. I wonder why they chose him, though. Uh, because he was the only person who drove to them and said, hey, guess what? You've got a serial killer on your hands and we can make some money. Oh, so he bought into that allegation. Mm -hmm. All right. He said, I received a copy of the clinical notes of over 30 babies who had either died or collapsed between January the 15th, uh, January, sorry, January 2015 and July 2016. And I looked at all of them. Some of those cases, you could understand why the babies had died. They died of problems that are common with small babies, hemorrhage, infection, a congenital problem, for instance. But I identified 15 babies whose collapse I could not explain as a natural cause. In addition to that, their collapse was not only unexpected, but I felt was due to a condition we call air 
embolism. It was as if someone had injected air into their circulation directly. Other babies suffered direct trauma. We had two babies who had insulin injected into their systems. So this is the air bubble theory, as um, well as insulin, which they've said is the smoking gun. It's fucking for this not. Case. That's oh. what prosecutors are acting like. That was the smoking gun that we're, convinced the jury. We're about to debunk it all with science <laughs> right here and now. <laughs> In his papers and findings, which he presented to the police and to the court, the paper he references is not, not about air embol embolism, which is what he is claiming Lucy did. It's actually about gas embolism which uh, is caused in the paper, it's caused when 100% oxygen was forced into a lung until the pressure causes an air leak. 100% oxygen is what is generally provided in hospitals, like through your air mask and like when you have tubes. Oh, okay, like with the, the breathing, the respirators. Yeah, yeah, but it's never 100%, it gets diluted in masks and in the tubes, so it, it would never be an instant death. Besides that, the logic is already flawed by the fact that they are citing from a source that doesn't even explain air embolism in the first place. It basically means they cannot state that air embolism killed when they have no evidence that it did. And he claims that child A, B, D, E, and M all died in this manner. And they weren't able to prove that. No. Like and he's, reasonable doubt. He's citing from a paper that isn't even anything to do with air embolism. There is also no evidence that an injection of air into the stomach can cause death by air embolism. Because I looked for it because I thought this is a really... Because wouldn't all doctors be killing people like this if they knew it would kill you? Well, would there be a record of other babies dying in this manner? Well, he's trying to state that these ch children all died in this manner. But I thought, fuck, if doctors had this power, and there are a lot of killer doctors out here, they'd all be doing it. But, well, or it could happen. You'd think it could happen accidentally, too. Yeah. Child C was born with an air bubble in his stomach, when, which uh, the description of the events that follow are suggestive of a condition termed pyloric um, atresia. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Pyloric atresia. Thank you. <laughs> so this condition occurs when there is a blockage in the stomach that prevents gastric emptying. So it's just a buildup of pressure. Which you think would be somewhat common. And how is that, how could she be culpable in that when the baby's born that way or, or it's some kind of mishap? Well, Dr. Gibbs made suggestions about a potential blockage, but it is apparent there was little or no diagnostic workup to identify what, if any, treatment should be get, given. So uh, this uh, eritristia is associated with significant mortality, especially when it's left untreated. So they knew this child had a blockage and Dr. Gibbs, who, you know, is the senior, was just like, oh, well. And he wasn't advising the nurses as to how to treat this either. Well, nurses can't, can't do anything about like a doctor's orders, really. They could work on like their best interests. But if they don't know what this condition is. But, but that's the thing. If he diagnosed this, he should yes. have been telling the nurses, you need to watch out for these factors. If he was a, you know, a doctor worth his salt. And Dr. Evans also knew the child was born with air in his stomach, but he blamed Lucy Letby for the air that was found in child C's stomach and bowels, despite the fact that it actually would have been impossible for her to inject air into the nasogastric tube because of basic physics regarding force and volume. It's impossible. It defies the laws of physics. It just cannot happen. Dr. Gibbs has also prescribed um, analgesia to the infant, which is a painkiller, but he had just prescribed it in such a high dose that it was strong enough to stop the baby from breathing, 
which might explain why Chelsea would collapse and be resuscitated and then show signs of spontaneous breathing. So, so this is kind of, I think, plays into the theory that I have, that there, that there is incompetence at the doctor level. Yes. And they don't want to go down. They don't want to get charged with, you know, involuntary manslaughter or something like that. So let's so blame nice but dim let's Lucy. Let's scapegoat. Yeah. And I think it's pretty easy to scapegoat the nurse that no one likes. Yeah. And she works a lot of shifts because she was taking extra shifts because she's single. She doesn't have a family. So the correlation's there. Exactly. It, it, it's, yeah. No, it, all makes, it does make sense if you think about it. In three of the cases, the child was removed from ventilators or breathing support. In two cases, one of which was child C, Dr. Gibbs played a pivotal role in a life or death decision, both of which obviously ended in death. Uh, child I, who died in the early hours of October the 23rd, 2015, had been removed from her ventilator at 12.45 a.m. on Dr. Gibbs' orders, and immediately she started showing signs she was having seizures, such as like lip-smacking and posturing. Dr. Gibbs had fucked off home by this point, and child I was dead by 2.10 a.m. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> right there. How come? I don't understand why her defense... Like, I mean, I know they're a quarter point. I didn't zone in on any of this. We will talk about the defense in a bit because they've dropped the biggest bollock probably since Marcia Clark. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they have. Considering that 85% of sudden death, uh, sudden infant's death occur during the nighttime, and I mean for adults too, it's the witching hour, the fact he removed her, he, he didn't wean her off the machine either, and the fact he fucked off home places the blame entirely on his shoulders. Well, it should, but this is upside down world now, isn't it? And Dr. Evans said that Lucy had injected air into the tube that went into the child's stomach, even though it's physically impossible to do such a thing, but that's how she murdered this baby. So rather than even look, even to comprehend that this, that Dr. Gibbs might be incompetent or might've made a mistake, it's like, okay, yeah, I think we have a serial killer on her, on the loose. She did it. The B&M art buyer did it. <laughs> what Lucy is guilty of, and I think this is true, is being unprofessional. So this is the family that she sent a sympathy card to and she kind of Facebook stalked a few after the child had died. But I think it's easy, really easy for the line to be blurred, especially with nurses rather than doctors, because doctors don't spend much time with you in a hospital. You spend your time with the nurses. And I think it's really funny. And I also think it's really harmful that this is being now spun as like a malicious act of a cold hearted, callous killer. Well, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not condoning that, but. A lot of serial killers do tend to keep mementos, do tend to show up at the scene of the crime, do tend to, to badger police about questions, about leads and things like that, and contact victims. Yeah, but... And victims' families. I just think she was a good nurse, and what's happened is is they're now trying to make it out like, nurses shouldn't be doing this type of thing. And just, you know what? I have nothing but 100% respect for all nurses. And I could see how, especially working on something like this, where, you know, babies are dying. That's a horrible thing. She's not exactly working in a nice ward. Yeah, it's Sending, almost, also not like an elderly care home. Exactly, you where know? you know it's going to happen. I mean, I think it's nice what she's done. And I think for them to kind of spin it as being something horrible, I think is damaging to nurses But as a she whole. should have a professional detachment. 
she should, but it's hard with nurses. I, I feel it's a lot harder with nurses than it is with doctors because nurses spend the time with you. Doctors don't and spend, they spend time the time with, with, you. with the families and they train them yeah, how to take and they, care of the kids and things like that. So I, I can understand she wants to express her condolences. Makes sense to me. But, but it is, it is weird. unprofessional. It's weird to go, you know, send send cards and go and find out these families you contact them on facebook and that's not like that. weird the facebook thing to me is also not weird because who hasn't facebook stalked someone you know, she also probably wanted to find out how's the family coping yeah after this death and it's so they probably a normal want to thing. see if they posted something or people are saying nice things and maybe that would alleviate any kind of guilt that she might have been feeling because she might have felt this is this is her fault that this happened yeah in just a, a child died tonight while i was at work yeah. i mean it takes like a certain type of bravado to get past that in the first place well, it's gotta be traumatizing yeah child d was presented as having died from an injection of air into her bloodstream she was in the throes of battling an infection when dr gibbs gave orders to remove her from her breathing machine even though she had been floppy after birth, she had already collapsed twice, and by the third time, she could not be revived and died. Again, Lucy did search for this child's family on Facebook, but if being guilty of looking up strangers' Facebooks make you a murderer, then we are all going to jail. Because you cannot sit there. I know people will be like, oh, I don't have Facebook. I've never Facebook stalked anyone. But I bet you've asked your mates to do it. I bet you've asked somebody around you to do it. Yeah, go look at the people uh, you went to high school with. Of course, it happens. What does it mean to be floppy after birth? <laughs> <laughs> what is that term? <laughs> Have you never not become unfloppy? No, I've been floppy, but usually I'm really drunk and, and whiskey's involved. <laughs> floppy baby. <laughs> Just say she was floppy after birth. Okay. Yeah, you know, she wasn't like crying and being like a, a belligerent little shit the way babies are. She was floppy and probably blue. <laughs> Another wild claim by the great Dr. Evans was that air embolism can cause a subcapsular liver hematoma, which is a type of bruise where blood builds up in between two specific layers of liver tissue. It's basically a very dangerous blood blister. This occurs in about 2% of pregnancies and it usually worsens as the baby grows. Most cases are preterm, as in it's forming already in the womb, and mortality rates are super high, around 80%. The coroner in the postmortem of a child O stated death on the basis of natural causes and intra-abdominal bleeding on the death certificate. But that didn't stop Dr. Evans. He postured that Lucy had once again defied physics by injecting air through the infant's nasogastric tube. The other famous methods of murder in this case are insulin overdoses on two separate twins, child F and L. Dr. Evans does not refer to other cases of insulin overdose or contamination to demonstrate that the testing used is significant to claim that the infants were poisoned with insulin. And in fact, it's obvious by the test results that the levels of insulin are so high that the results are probably the result of a false negative. And, the and that's, as I was saying before, the prosecution claims that this was the smoking gun in the case. And this is what convinced jurors that that she's guilty. This is like, you know, the 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 evidence that you, the forensic evidence right. that you yeah. need. But you know, where it's alleged that Miss Levy poisoned infants with in insulin, the claim is based on a single blood test. Just one blood test, which showed shockingly high levels of insulin and almost non existent levels of C peptide. The levels are so high as to warrant like greater questioning. 
Uh, the blood testing conducted in this case does not resemble the standard of testing required in other comparable cases. And this goes by the Marks and Richmond 2008 um, study. The experts fail to consider effects such as the hook effect, which yields false negatives, and could easily explain the low C-peptide concentrations observed. Dr. Evans also does not refer to the other cases of the overdose or contamination to demonstrate that the test is sufficient. And that the and he couldn't even really prove that the infants were actually poisoned by insulin. He can't prove any of this. And how can he's they a even, con? But how can they prove that she gave them the insulin? They can't. There's no eyewitness. There's no video proof. There's no evidence that she even gave them the insulin. So the fact it's almost laughable that this would even be considered in court. And I can't believe a defense attorney wouldn't immediately offer rebuttal towards this. We're going to talk about the defense. Shocking. In the case of child G, Evans states that Lucy had tried to murder the child on three separate occasions, and she was finally successful when the child was 100 days old, when she was said to have force-fed the child milk down the nasogastric tube as well as injecting air. By this point, the child had been left severely disabled, um, which might have impacted the child's in response to like even keeping milk down, not to mention she'd been on an extensive use of antibiotics. Children are born with basically zero immune system, so this could have contributed to her disabilities. Basically, by giving her the antibiotics, they've given her uh, brain damage. Mm. She was born exceptionally premature. She weighed just one pound, two ounces. The odds of this baby surviving are as low as 28%. In child E, N, and O, Dr. Evans presented theories that they had been attacked with sharp objects. Dr. Evans claims that the massive internal bleeding was due to air embolism and interference of internal organs with an unknown piece of medical equipment. However, there is no evidence that such extensive bleeding is associated with air embolism, nor is it plausible to claim an unknown instrument was used where there is no evidence of such a claim. It is apparent that both child E and O experienced a hepatitis hemorrhage condition, which has been associated with severe cases of viral sepsis. Well, that's the thing. They're really reaching. He is, to, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he's trying to explain that this is the, you know, this is what happened. This is the way she killed these babies. But he doesn't have any, like, tangible evidence. There's no forensic evidence that backs up these claims. Zero. Yet they're, they're presented as fact in court. In the case of child H, J, and K, this is where he really grasps for killing their straws. He just says that they could have died by tampering, smothering, or just because she's a genius, psychopathic wonder woman of child murder. Child H suffered two collapses and was revived with adrenaline. The child had tense, I will say this badly, tension neurophorax. It's, I don't, it's something to do with your chest. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> and this can cause hypertension and collapse. Child J had been born premature at 32 weeks and two days and had needed surgery for a bowel disorder. Lucy was one of the six nurses on night shift when the child suffered a collapse. The child was moved to a high dependency room, but by 6.56 a.m. her oxygen levels had dropped and at 7.20 a.m. Lucy gave the baby a glucose infusion, but again the baby collapsed and needed resuscitation. Although Evans thinks Lucy might have smothered the baby, there is zero evidence of this occurring and zero eyewitness accounts of this occurring. So the, the thing is with this, is with this flimsy evidence that, that, that they're presenting and the flimsy. arguments that they're making, it's confirmation bias. Yeah. Because there is no you know, presumption of innocence here for Lucy Letby. None. They've, the media's already you know, branded her a serial killer. 
they have to explain why babies are dying. I mean, it's terrible that babies are dying. And now you're like, well, there's this serial killer nurse and she might have smothered them. There was definitely some evidence of tampering. And I think people want to believe that. I think people would rather believe that than, than, the, than that the NHS is failing you exactly. and that babies are dying. But I mean, when babies are born like this, like so premature, I mean, I was two months premature and I like, I think I weighed like four pounds, but I was perfectly formed. I was just ready to get the fuck out of my mum. Like I, I had been done cooking and was ready to go. But your immunity though, and your, oh, yeah, you know, you're your still very, immune system is still very compromised. Nothing. Yeah, you've got And that's nothing. the thing. I mean, it's like, and there could be a number of factors in an understaffed hospital, a hospital with like documented sewage issues and, uh, you know, cleanliness issues. It's a lot of different factors that could contribute to an infant's death. There was a so-called witness for child Kay. The not-at-all-seeking fame and fortune Dr. Ravi walked into Kay's room and discovered Lucy there. Child Kay was not breathing and her tube had been dislodged. The tube being dislodged could be because of like agitation from the child, you know, just kicking it about. Or it's probably because it was never properly secured in the first place with tape. Lucy also called for assistance when the baby was struggling because when the tube was reinserted, it was pushed too far down the baby's throat. Again, there are no eyewitnesses who said that Lucy shoved the tube down the throat of child K. Child K died after being transferred to another hospital, so her death was not charged as murder. Well, why did she die during the transfer? From breathing? Just class? She's sickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I do know what people are going to be saying. They're like, Kate, you're not a pathologist. You're not a medical expert. So it's kind of rich of me to think that I know the ins and outs after reading like a lot of articles about this. Well, Dr. Dewey Evans, the man who said that describing himself as an expert witness was too flashy, despite the fact that his LinkedIn account <laughs> says just that. He's also something of a layman because he is not a pathologist. He is not a forensic scientist and he has no experience in the investigation of mass murder in a hospital settings. He threw out the real reports by the pathologists to create a case for Cheshire Police who, despite being handed no new evidence, accepted his testimony and they charged Lucy with the seven murders and the ten attempted. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they're being pressured to, you know, solve this case. They're not and being so, pressured. I think they would have come to the end of it and said, there's nothing here. She didn't do it. Yeah, but then who are they going to blame? The, you need to find a killer. You need to find the person who's behind these baby deaths because that's what society well, wants. Well, it's mother nature then. Charge <laughs> mother but they, nature. But they can't nature. just say like, well, you know, these babies just died because babies die all the time. They, 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 the, the public needs an explanation. And at this point, you know, Lucy Leppy was already alleged to be a killer. It's her fucked because yeah. people, as soon as they think that you've killed a child, you've, you're, you've, fucked. you're fucked. Yeah. So if Lucy didn't kill the babies, then what did? So we've got bad decisions by doctors, understaffed, inexperienced medical staff, underfunded hospital wards, the damaged relationship between the nurse and doctors on the ward, i.e. was very toxic, the damaged relationship between consultants and doctors, which was also very toxic. We have a lack of leadership, mother nature, and probably sewage all played a part in these babies dying. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, she had already been pinpointed as a killer like within a few weeks, you know, of, uh, yeah. of initially being blamed for it. So... I mean, it's pretty easy to convince a jury who already who already considers her a killer. Yeah, I mean, you can just have like you know the weakest of scientific evidence. Just start you know 
claiming you're using scientific jargon and technical terms to back up your claims and air embolisms and this much PCH and whatever. And I think the, the common person on the jury would, wouldn't even question it. But, you know, and, and the other thing, too, she wasn't even there when all the deaths happened. Yeah. You know? She wasn't. She wasn't there for all the deaths. <laughs> but yet they, they claim that she does. And then there's the, uh, the whole RCPCH review into the performance of the hospital. It was very critical of the quality of yeah. care and processes in place at the Chester Hospital. Um, but, and, and, you know, that's why they say that Lepi was taken off duty. And there, it was also critical of senior consultants and management. But yet, did any of those people get no. any of the blame? No. Did any of the doctors? No. Who, you know, who probably ordered the breathing tube to be removed, as in Dr. Gibbs' case. Did he receive any of the blame? Is he at fault? No. Seems Lucy like a, is. It seems like a cover-up scapegoating to me. We will mention the defense, but... The only witness the defense presented, other than Lucy herself, was a, the plumber. Two wit That's it. You're going to have Lucy. And we, they didn't even have a character witness for Lucy to talk about, it's like, her ridiculous. going to school. Yeah. It's, like, unbelievable. Or any of her teachers or any doctors who actually did like working with her. Yeah. Or other nurses. It's insane to me how that they even allowed this to happen. So the plumber is very interesting because he presents two very viable alternative suspects, which could have murdered, well, killed the kids. And we've got entretiovirus and parechiovirus. These are summer viruses which correspond with the clustering of the 22 deaths and collapses in the summers of 2015 and 2016. And they're also waterborne, so they can be carried in sewage. Importantly, they can kill particularly very premature babies who are obviously vulnerable. And, and that's the thing. It's like if you have like a you know, fully grown adult with a regular immune system, they'll probably be able to fight off perico-virus. Oh, you'll have explosive, explosive diarrhea. Yeah. yeah, but a prematurely born infant who already probably has other medical issues, you contract the, that type of virus, it's probably going to be lethal. It's going to be deadly. Exactly. Before we talk about the defense and the reasons why she was convicted, the other also very circumstantial evidence thrown at her was her notes and her diary entries, yeah. which to anyone who has ever had their Facebook account deleted will know it's all about context. Now, I have never been a nurse on a neonatal ward where the risk of death to babies is not uncommon, so you live with every day. Every nurse I've ever known has a fabulous sense of gallows humor, and some have always kind of had like an attached sense of sense of guilt with it too but i think that's only mentally healthy to me she unwound from her very stressful job where she would watch babies die by writing in her diary much like how i unwind by writing about serial killers and death well that's the thing i mean it's like i feel guilt at my job when i send an email that was worded improperly or something but i'm not watching a fucking baby die yeah and you know nurses are also encouraged it's part of their training they're encouraged to keep a diary and in your diary you would talk about what's happened in work that day and you would use initials and like so when she's writing down like oh baby b died at this time nurses are told to do that well, and that's the thing, and I couldn't imagine, like, the stress and the guilt I'd feel if it happened on my shift under my watch. Yeah, you know? I mean... Even if it wasn't... It, obviously, if it's not my responsibility, if I wasn't there, it's just, but this baby, this child died that I'm responsible for. And then you're just supposed to go home and, like, I don't know, fucking have a Rustler's Burger and get on with your life and buy some B&M artwork. Like, yeah, I think writing it down helps you 
process it. Well, so one of, the, one of the notes that uh, you'll find splashed all over uh, the media here is a green post-it note found inside her 2016 diary, which contained what appeared to look like a confession. It said in big, bold letters, I am evil. I did this. And then there's a separate note with a s uh, small writing scrawled over every inch of it where, the, where she wrote, I'm sorry that you couldn't have a chance at life and help in capital letters. And then another one that said, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, sure, you know, th that, that sounds awful. I mean, it does, kind of, it does sound like you know, damning if you think about it. But any teenager would have written the same thing. Yeah, you know? I do get the feeling that Lucy is a bit like, yeah, she's intelligent. Maybe she's she a nurse. Maybe depression too. I think she's a bit dim. You know, I don't get the feeling that she's dim because I think a nurse, nurses aren't dim. They no, but I just feel she's a, a bit. What we would say in the north is she's a bit of a duffer. <laughs> what does that mean? She's just like. Just a dullard. She's, not too bright. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, she's probably racked with guilt. Like she probably felt that she's responsible for this and was just like, you know, and that's how she was expressing her, you know, frustration, working through it, is writing it down and writing things. You know, you look at that note and it's just like tiny scrawling on every piece of it. And I yeah. think that was probably cathartic for her. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, but the fact of the matter is, how is that evidence to, to present a trial? It shouldn't be. Well, it's, again, it's like the West Memphis Free. If they're going to start arresting us for things we write in our diaries, completely taken out of context, yeah. then a lot of us deserve or to go to jail. poems or lyrics in a song or short Me. horror stories. <laughs> yeah. Like Stephen King. Yeah. You know, it's like, so what? If someone's killed, you know, by a, a killer car, you're going to blame Stephen King for for you the know, inspiration yeah like inspiring this killer and it's ridiculous um let's let's let B's uh, defense attorney told jurors that the comments were the anguished outpouring of a young woman in fear and despair um and when let was on the stand she said i felt at the time that if i'd done something wrong i must be an evil awful person like i'd somehow been incompetent at my job and had done something wrong which affected those babies so i must be responsible in some way I think looking back on it now, I really was struggling. And this was a way of me expressing what I wasn't able to say to anyone else. And that's the purpose of a diary. It's the exact purpose of a fucking diary. Whereas forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Soham Das, um, looked into the, they, they interviewed him in, uh, I think it was the Daily Star. He said this showed her true motivation in the crimes. It this, doesn't. This is what prosecutors are feeding the jury. He believes the notes are likely to be the closest we'll ever come to understanding her depraved thoughts and intentions. Her true motivations, I believe, are power, control, and the thrill of being around the grieving process. So there's evidence of vitriolic anger or jealousy towards the happy family unit uh, because expressing the words, I'll never have children or marry, I'll never know what it's like to have a family, which is what she did write down. Yeah, but I mean, at the age of 33, I was also writing the same thing. He says, we know that Lepi wanted to be present when the parents were overwhelmed by grief, even when the dead babies had not been her own patients. They said she, she was there. But isn't that what nurses do? Yeah, fuck <laughs> it is what nurses on a neonatal ward will do. He said, Lepi had a fascination with the babies and their families noting repeated searches that she made on Facebook for the names of the victim's parents. Oh, lock us all up for Facebook stalking. But, you know, maybe she felt so racked with guilt that she wanted to find out what was the outcome. Were the parents who were next to the parents okay? It's just a healthy interest. I mean, we all do it. 
they all look on Facebook. I think sending them a card or contacting the family is, is unprofessional. A bit above and beyond. Yeah. But at the same time, I can just see why where the lines get blurred. The defense could have argued any of this. She, uh, if she had even had any form of decent defense. So us long-term true crime fans know two things. You never talk to the police without a lawyer present, and you never take the stand in your own defense. Lucy did both of these things. The NHS and the trust can afford to pay a whole team of high-paying Jewish lawyers, and Lucy cannot. The so-called expert witnesses presented at trial gave far-reaching scientific and medical findings and the claims they presented are entirely hypothetical invalidated and most of all implausible it's 2023 witch hunts are still happening it's easy to nip blame a nice but dim nurse rather than to blame a corrupt system where there are many many villains there is zero forensic evidence tying lucy letby to any of the murders and only circumstantial evidence that accuses her of murder she is now locked away for life on these terms now dubbed britain's most prolific child murderer well that that's the issue that i have so like people like uh like like uh, beverly allett like she was seeking attention. She was. She definitely had Moonchildson by proxy. Like she. She wanted to, to, to feel like the, the hero that saved these babies. But Leppy doesn't have an obvious motive. Yeah, because there isn't one. Because she's not a murderer. And you'd think these experts would have been able to pinpoint one. Yeah. Or define one, but there is no motive. And so, you know, I don't know. And and, and the fact of the the confirmation bias here that's so present. You know, it requires a lot of logical leaps in in these in the in the in the prosecution's uh, argument. I mean, it's a coincidence. I mean, it sucks that that babies die. Babies do die, and you look at the rates of babies dying before and after Lepi. You know, it, it was it was it's terrible, but the, but that's a, that's a sad reality. You know, in in instead of looking at like some of the other like institutional problems. It's like, no, let's just kind of blame it on this nurse. What about the doctors that are involved? What about the doctor's incompetence here? That's what I'd be wanting to see. And that's the thing. You can scapegoat that nurse all you want, but that, the, that, that hospital is still going to get sued by those parents. And I would sue the fuck out of them if I, was, if I, was, if I lost a kid this way. Yeah, totally. Um, but that's the thing. It's not like, uh, you know, this would happen. You know, they were pretty much just like, she did it, and this is how we explain how, she, how it happened. You know, and it's it's built from a backwards, from an assumption of guilt rather than the than the reverse. Because you should presume that they're innocent until so, well, you'd like to think that, but it doesn't. It's twenty twenty three, and people are now being locked in jail for life with zero forensic evidence against you. It's kind of a travesty. And you look at how many how many cases are overturned. Even DNA evidence, yeah, get overturned cases where they don't even have anything as they convincing don't. as that. But that but that's the thing. Like the I was reading some. Um, some reporter mentioned that, like, well, she had to have, like, injected a second bag with insulin and, you know, or injected the baby in the stomach and then forged the report. Because they also said that she had forged a bunch of different reports about when the babies died. But, I mean, does, does that make sense? No. I mean, wouldn't people have seen that? Wouldn't she have forged other reports? She would have forged them. That, well, that's how they caught Shipman, was through the, his paper trail. And the other odd thing here, too, is that she... She was a nurse. You know, you're saying she's dim. I think most nurses have to be, have some quotient of intelligence to she's even become a, a nurse. Yeah, you can be the smartest person in the room and have no common sense. But for multiple years, she was able to hide her crimes from pathologists. 
No. She did, though. I mean, she, well, supposedly, I mean, she wasn't caught for several years. But then she wasn't intelligent enough to realize that if she wanted to continue to kill, she's going to have to mix up the pattern somewhat. Yeah. Oh, like, you know, she wouldn't have been so upset when she got moved yeah. to a different hospital. She's like, well, guess what? There's a new pattern here now. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think the, the underlying issues that we pointed out with the understaffing and the doctors kind of being out of their depth and making egregious mistakes. Yes. You know, and uh, how many patients, you know, that they were taking on more babies than they could even handle, even had the means to handle. I think there's a lot of different elements and factors here that played a role in these babies' deaths. And yet, you know, Lucy Leppe is being um, pointed the finger at. Yeah. And being blamed. So the, there are still doctors out there, some doctors who want to be on Tetley full-time, earning six-figure sums of my money, although it soon won't be my money because <laughs> I'm moving to America. Or they are retired with fat pensions for their years of public service who should be held accountable for their actions. But it's often easier to trial a woman, call her a witch, and uh, we can shut our eyes and pretend that things have changed a little since the 15th century. But the reality is, is now, this could have happened to any of us. Could have happened to any nurse in the country in any of the hospitals. So free Lucy Letby and free the West Memphis Three, even though they're all out, and free the Weatherfield one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like now you have Dr. Gibb retiring and the other one. Uh, who, oh, Dr. Ravi is an absolute yeah, evil Dr. Ravi. It's like yes. any of these people not even sharing any of the blame, yet they were in charge. Yeah. The management of Chester County Hospital received Men, you know, like numerous complaints. They're not charged with anything. It's just Lucy Leppe. Seems very convenient to me. Yeah, it really it does, does to me. Anyway, K Rambo, what do you call a dead baby with no arms and no legs in the middle of the ocean? Fucked. How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, people, this is episode 909 here, Sick and Wrong. Uh, we got some phone calls coming up next 323 4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey guys, it's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Luke Eric's disease got pretty bad. Let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E. I am now a new man. Thanks. So we got a couple phone calls to get to here. Uh, you know who, who we got a call from? Whom? Sent over Facebook. Um, but I haven't heard from him in a long time. Adam from Tokyo. Oh, no way. Yeah, Adam from Tokyo calls in. And it's kind of a spicy call. Is he drunk? Maybe. But, uh, or maybe he's on his period. But it's definitely very oh, spicy. Oh, he's bitters. Bernie, 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 Bernie. Mork, mork, mork. Yeah, it's the speed, and in this one time, and I kick in the man in the head, and it's so cool, because I am so, I'm kickboxer, and I am so cool. <laughs> yeah, shots fired, it's Adam from Tokyo, 
that guy's boring. Also, Marshall Allen Tony is a fucking kitty fiddler. Fuck you. And as much as you guys <laughs> might think it's kind of funny, I love that Marshall he's like some fucking sex trafficker. Bro, if you're actually in Tokyo, I've got fucking people who will stomp you out because um, yeah, fuck yeah. pedos. No, I agree with that. I'm not, I don't support pedos, but I do find the Marshall Island stories uh, somewhat entertaining. Yeah, I do too. He's a definitely opened my eyes to an island in the middle of fucking nowhere. That sounds terrible. And I might be wrong, but are most of the prostitutes he's had in like Thailand usually of legal age? Yeah, they've all been legal age. But no, but the I remember the Marshallese kids seemed to be a bit young. Yeah, I know, but guess what? He probably gave they're probably still living off the twenty dollars he gave them. <laughs> all those years ago. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's not like I uh, fully support or condone Marshall Island's Tony's actions, but I do like hearing the stories. He's got I, some I good like stories, him. that guy. Fucking does. There's yeah. wealth of them. And the Swede. His, the Swede uh, is fucking awesome. Well, you know what's funny? This is kind of like a point counterpoint. So the next call, guess who that's going to be? Nice. And putting that aside, um, I love you guys' podcast and I love you guys, but. The last thing you guys talked about, about Japan. Oh my God. D and Kate, when you guys speak Japanese words, basically everything you say is a fucking hate crime. I mean, just the worst <laughs> pronunciation. Everything sounds just like the N word and the, and the J word in every single thing you guys said. You know when you don't uh, log into Duolingo? And it sends you threatening messages that you must log back in. This is this is Adam. The J Lingo. The J Lingo. It's like a learn how to speak other languages app. But when Wait, there's an app called Ju Lingo. D U O. Duolingo. Oh, Duolingo. I thought you were saying Duolingo. Duolingo. Like, what kind of app has? It's called Duolingo. What is it like? All Yiddish words. Isn't it funny? It's like, yeah, can can we not speak Japanese? Probably because there's only like five people around the world who actually speaks Japanese. <laughs> well, I also find it funny too because I work Speak some Cumbrian words, Adam. You'd be fucking lost. Yeah, but I work <laughs> with a lot of Japanese people and I hear them speak English. And I would say that, I would say it's about we're it's about the equivalent of us trying to pronounce Japanese. At least we're trying. Yeah, and you know what? There isn't a stereotype of British people speaking Japanese, is there? But there's definitely a stereotype of Japanese people speaking English. English, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, come on. I work with some great Japanese people, and yeah, they have trouble pronouncing a lot of words. I mean, but yet they, you know, they speak English way better than I speak Japanese. But hey, I'm fucking trying. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes. Anyways, I guess I guess I can't expect people to pronounce things properly from japan but putting all that although adam i would like to know have you ever met anyone that does the night movers or has been moved by a night mover oh is that the episode yeah it must be that episode yeah it was talking when about. we were talking about the night yeah, movers yeah. and there are a lot of words i could barely pronounce in that episode but i would like to know though and this goes out to any of our japanese listeners especially um uh johnny from got faded do you know anyone that does night moving or has been moved by one. I'd like to know about that. I would also like to know if Adam was out in Japan for the tsunami. Because I've just read that very interesting book about it. So I'd just like, I would like what to hear some tsunami? tsunami stories. It was 2011, wasn't it? He probably was there. He, uh, we have a couple of listeners who've been listening for years that have lived in Japan for like two decades. So he As, probably was. Yeah. I want to go one day. So, 
Oh yeah, I love it. When we do, we when I was there, uh, um, we met up with Adam. We met up with uh, Johnny Got Faded, and uh, yeah, a bunch of people. It was, it was a lot of fun. That was that was a good time. It's like you know, long time. I I, I always appreciate hearing my voice or hearing like comments about me on your, on the air there. Um, <laughs> uh, I love you guys. I was trying to think about something I could call in about. You know, I don't have that much exciting stuff happen in my life. I'm pretty boring. One time I was in Vancouver, uh, you know, all my stories happen in Vancouver more than Tokyo because that city is grimy. And um, yeah, Adam originally came from uh, Canada and they moved to uh, Tokyo. I, I was ice skating and I bashed my head in the, against the ice and I like there was blood just like squirting out of my head. And, um, you know, I was trying to do ice hockey and I'm, I'm shit. <laughs> it's really a hard sport for big tough guys who I'm not. But, um, yeah, I bashed my head good. And then so they, they took me in an ambulance into the, uh, in the emergency room because, you know, I was like really gushing blood from my head. But I, <laughs> they put me in this emergency room and there was this... Um, this guy in the next cell, they didn't, the next room over, they didn't cell. um close the, the the gates or the the curtains because I guess there was just no time. They brought in this like emergency case of this junkie dude, and he was dead. And right in front of me, they fucking started his heart like they put the defib defibrillator, however you say it, on him, and they started his heart right in front of me. And like you know, every little hair on my neck stand stand stood up it was just like holy fuck wow what's going on and so he came back to life right in front of me it was fucking crazy and then he got he shot up and he was just like i gotta go <laughs> it's like that scene in pulp fiction yeah yeah <laughs> god damn i said god damn the doctor was like what are you talking about he's like i gotta go he's like where are you gonna go he's like i gotta get high <laughs> and the doctor was like hey motherfucker i just brought you back to life and you were dead a few minutes ago and if you come through here next time i'm not bringing you back to life like fuck you that was it that was your one time where i'm gonna start your fucking heart <laughs> i don't know i don't have any real big question or comment i guess like you ever seen some shit like that like you ever seen someone get their heart started you ever seen someone get narcanned or whatever. No, because I live in a sensible uh, country. Well, they, do they don't they have defibrillators available on the streets? Yeah, here. yeah, on the streets here, which I think is wild. Like I've never seen anybody I've, crack one open and use one. Yeah, I've often wondered if anyone just would grab, like a drunk English lad just grabs it and just uses it on his friend. Yeah, I think they do make it like you have to enter a little code and stuff, and it's difficult to get into them. But they're there on the street. They it's what they're turning old payphones into now. Into defibrillators. It's bizarre. They definitely doesn't have in the U.S. like that. Like you could just go go to a defibrillator. You don't have to put money in it either, do you? I or think it's mainly pay? also a thing for the medical teams. Like if there's one on the street, I don't know. It's just such a random thing I've that we've never we have. seen that before. But can you get uh, Narcanon or whatever? I'm sure you can. Like, but I'm I don't I don't dally with those. Harrison circles. Harrison always had some. He had to use it on himself a couple of times. Well, of course he did, but obviously not the last time. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Sorry, I've, <laughs> I've never seen anyone uh, uh, administer Narcodon. I've, I've heard of people doing it. I've never actually had to do it. I'm gonna knock on wood, 
or um, or saw someone do it. Does it cause a heart attack if you just take it straight, or can you get really fucking high? It's like, isn't it like you're putting adrenaline into your yeah, body? Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm thinking it's like a maybe a Hunter S. Thompson type drug. Ugh, you could get super high. Know. It's all love. Uh, I do hate a couple of your um, your your callers, but uh, overall, I still fuck with your podcast every single week. I love you guys very much. Uh, keep it sick, keep it wrong. Peace out. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Yeah, Adam's fluid His too, pronunciation at the end then was just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he, no, I was so impressed by these guys. When we were walking around, I was like, holy shit. Like, how, how do you even know how to pronounce these words? Well, of I course mean, they do. They've lived, they lived there for a long time. A lot of, I think like Adam was self-taught. and I think, uh, I think that's the best way to ever learn a language is like you either surround yourself by these people by living there or you have like, you know, an extended family. Yeah. That's the best way because then you learn all the slang words, you learn like the inflections. You can't do that by just like learning a fucking stupid thing off your app. Well, he married a Japanese woman too. So I think that's another So that makes it easier. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, my friend Lenora was just in the hospital this past week. Um, I'm not quite exactly sure what was going on. There was like some an issue with her liver that she feels might be connected to using birth control. Yeah. That, um, yeah, like a growth in her liver that could, could be caused by birth control. Uh, but anyway, the person next to her was in there for a like a grie- like an, a, like a grievous dick injury. Hilarious that they would put Lenora next to well, him. Well, she didn't know what was going on, but apparently, I think the guy cut off his dick. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. And she didn't see exactly what happened because she went in. The guy was in a lot of pain. There was a lot of blood, and he was there, and she didn't know exactly what was going on. And then she got wheeled off to go take her tests and CAT scans and all that. When she came back, the guy was gone. Maybe he's in surgery. But someone said that, uh, yeah, he had like damaged his penis. Franken penis. My John Thomas. <laughs> Why are you cutting off your John Thomas? That's yeah, what I said man. to him. What, what's he ever done to you? I don't know. Anyway, good to hear from you, Adam from Tokyo. Uh, next call we have here is the Swede. The mighty Swede. I'm doing that on purpose. Counterpoint. It's like I am yes, in Berlin again. It's what? It's like I'm in a Berlin nightclub again. It's like the love parade going on <laughs> and here. And it's 6 a.m. First calling from Sweden. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I'm in Berlin again. <laughs> now it's music from uh, Kate's Wet Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. Well, thank you, Dolph. And uh, back to your regularly scheduled program from Sweden. Another Swede story for you all in the midst of uh, Kate moving to D and having to endure listening to propagation of dolphin fucking and such. Fuck that guy. And I don't mind saying it, Kate, even though he's your friend. He's my new bestie. The animals, you fucking cretins. <laughs> I fully agree with the Swede here. Like that guy, sure. Once again, like Marshall Island Tony, I find him interesting. Would I want to like hang out with him or shake his hand? Probably not. Are you joking? I would 100% go for um, a salad. I would have a salad and a coffee with Malcolm. Would you go for sushi with Malcolm? <laughs> oh, no, because you would have a boner <laughs> the whole time. But I would go for like a weekend retreat with uh, Marshall Island Tony. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to like a I'm nice relaxing pass beach, on both beach of holiday. those. <laughs> I'm going to hard pass on both of those. Uh, second, would like to extend our regards to Hattie Stewart on his upcoming grandfatherhood, which is fantastic Aww. news. Also, congratulations. Yeah, I don't know if we, we mentioned that, but yeah, Mazel Tov to Stuart and his lovely wife Karen for being grandparents. Yes, yeah, so we had a lovely dinner with, and they're, gonna, they're the hottest grandparents I've ever seen. Yeah, like, we talked about know. this on the second show. We went to a German restaurant. Uh, with the it, Germans? Yeah, with the Germans. It was great, actually. It was a really, it was a really good time. Yeah, I had a and, good uh, blast yeah. that night. That's the night. No, I didn't get hammered. Yeah, I did get hammered. Oh, no, we got hammered. That's the that night, night I got hammered. Yeah. What night don't we get hammered? That is a good point. There's a problem there. There's a problem. I'm calling out for help here. In order to Pumpkin and her adoption of the cutest kitten I have yet to see. Aww. Now, here's a story about me getting balls deep into an unsuspecting animal. <laughs> okay. Uh, actually, I don't have a story this time, but rather some questions for D. Uh, how come you have never heard of the Shadim or Shade? I know you're somewhat of a disbeliever, but I mean, you grew up with your father being like a focal point of your chosen religion. I mean, how much rubbed off? Just the tip? <laughs> or is it more to the story? <laughs> um, I, I want to state that I have profound respect for your father and his beliefs. Uh, though I cannot vouch to Odin in his particular case, but I'm sure that he has a seat of honor in Valhalla and cutting off the end of cocks on people randomly. <laughs> you know, they grow back in the morning anyhow. They do. Uh, much love, the Swede. Swede, it's good to hear from you, man. Yeah, he's a guy who can also speak two languages. And never... well, he could sp probably speak more than two. He probably can, yeah, because he can probably speak yeah, Norse. Probably speak French. And he can probably speak um, yeah, Norwegian Finnish. and yeah, yeah, he'll understand it. So there you go, Adam from Tokyo. I don't think the Swede has once ever said disparaging words about us trying to speak Swedish. And I think Adam from Tokyo would also agree with the Swede that uh, Malcolm's a sick fuck for fucking dogs. He's my friend. Stop it. <laughs> um, you know, I do know the, the Shadim. I, I'm more familiar with the Dibuk, which is the Jewish That's, demon. Yes. But uh, Shadim are also like, I guess, kind of demons that live in Jewish hell. Jewish hell is called Gehinon. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, like a Hasid. So what's Jewish heaven called? I don't know what Jewish heaven's called. Just heaven? <laughs> I'm not sure. All right. I mean, I'm sure there's a, a Hebrew term for it. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, there is even like a Jewish purgatory that, that they you go to when you, I think kind of when you commit suicide. It's like, well, actually, you know, it's one place. I think Gehinnom is the same thing. It's like this area that lost souls can go to that are trapped in. But Reformed Jews and most Jews don't believe in any kind of heaven or hell. So what is it? Well, there's an afterlife. Like my dad used to say, like, you know, you go there and you read Talmud. And I'm like, well, that sounds like hell to me. He's like, <laughs> maybe to you. It He's sounds like, delightful yeah, to me. Just, I was like, so for an eternity, you're sitting in a room with a bunch of other Jews reading Talmud. He's like, yes. I'm like, that sucks. I'd rather <laughs> go to hell. <laughs> well, even though I'm obviously a non-believer, uh, because I've never been baptized, it's automatic that I go to purgatory. So, you know, whatever, just whatever. 
that's so, what it is. So yeah, like the Shadim are like spirits or demons that live in hell. So maybe the Dibuk is a type of Shadim. Well, I think uh, he calls uh, Kalabada Shadim. I mean, he kind of looks like one. Don't yeah. you think so? Yeah, he does. And he's a little bastard. Like, if you think about it, he's a little bit of a bastard. He is a little creature that's been sent from hell. Uh, yeah, he would be the perfect thing sent from hell because he looks so, like, visually pleasing. But then as soon as he opens his mouth, you're like, oh, my God. What, is, what has happened to this world? <laughs> I, should have asked, I should have asked a rabbi about Shadim. We talked about the Dibuk. I asked him if, well, I asked him if he could make Ooh. a golem. He was like, no, oh, that's made up. That's folklore. But I've heard one story about a guy who knew everywhere. But I never asked him if he could invoke a dibuk. Oh, you should have. Yeah. And the, the theory on the Shadim, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is that they were like kind of like proto-humans, like before God perfected humans. Like imps? Yeah. Like they're proto-humans. They weren't like fully no, formed. And yeah. they were also like malevolent. Like they didn't. Like didn't, an imp. Well, he didn't fully figure out like good and evil at that point so they weren't like fully formed humans with like morals and you know morality. what they remind me of they remind me of those little chicken dinosaurs in jurassic park you know the ones that where there's like 200 of them but they're like little chickens but those little ones that the scavengers the little yeah well they'll kill you yeah that's what you. that's what they were well, they no, were just I like were 200 like, of these little like chav type. They're of... monstrous creatures and they're not like small either. I think they're oh. just like, yeah, they're like prototypes that he didn't finish fully. In my mind, they just seem really small. Like they would be impish, like just like these 200 gangs of like dwarves and they would just be going around being good and evil. I mean, I think they're, I think what happens, they just kind of live in hell because he, he didn't want to put them in Eden. This is I'm, this is also I've heard this and I've read about it, but I don't quite I might not even be remembering it properly. But I think the Shadim were unfinished humans, like experiments. Are you saying that they're Down syndromes? Possibly. You know, I mentioned Marshall Island Tony might be a Shadim. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think they were like, yeah, like deformed humans, that like a Down syndrome. Evil, but Down syndrome people are sweet. Well, no, not necessarily because they also many, like they right. also like to wank like chimps. How many Down syndrome serial killers do you know? Well, they're not they're not smart, smart enough to commit murder. Well, because they, well, they're sweet, they're good natured, they're benevolent creatures. They're for comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Anyway, sweet, it's good to hear from you, and uh, yeah, he's a legend. Have, he is a legend. I, I do like hearing from the sweet, and sweet's like one of those active members of Discord. Yeah, he's part of the Discord family. Yeah, and you know he's what I like about guy. Swede, too? He doesn't call in with this, these endless stories about his children, about his brood. Even though, doesn't he have kids? He just had a recently Oh, yeah, he has, a, he has a gorgeous little boy who looks exactly like him. Yeah. Why? Who rings in about that child all the time? Well, that's the thing. It's like parents. I'm just saying when new parents or comedians have kids, they always call in. They always like, you know, comedians when they have kids start talking about being a dad or being a father. It's like the last fucking thing I want to hear about. Yeah, because we're not going to go through that. Unless it's sick and wrong. Then I'll hear about it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good to hear from you, sweet. Um... Big ups to everybody who supports on Patreon. I know we bring it up all the time, but we do appreciate you helping to keep this show going. That's patreon.com slash sickandwrong, or you can just support the show via Apple Podcasts. Also, I did upload recently a couple new designs over the Tee Public store. They're my, cool. My Hentai 69 design. I don't know if uh, anyone's actually purchased one of those, but it's nice. I got like a little sick and wrong like logo on the, the top left. 
And then the back, hentai 69. The tie-dye one is so cool. And like, especially for chicks. I think if you had like a really oversized version of that, with like some, a cute little pair of shorts on underneath, it's perfect for like hot weather. Well, the tie-dye one doesn't say, well, actually, I guess tie-dye one does have a hentai 69 thing as well. But the, the, the other one is I took a Baphomet sigil and I put sick and wrong on his arms. It's super cool. And it says sick and wrong, but that, that is available in tie-dye as well. Get so. it before winter, well, get it before autumn is here, which I'm going to, you know what's annoying is like, I'm obviously very excited to move, but I am about to miss my favorite season. Yeah, but you'll see when it's like not raining every fucking day and you're going to be freezing your I'm gonna tits miss off that. like you do in it, like you do here. It's so fuck. it's fucking cold right now. It is getting chillier and like the sun is setting remarkably quick now. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that in LA. Yeah, I just have to well, worry maybe, about a desert heat instead. Well, maybe because uh, this winter is really cold. They're saying they're saying that we might be getting seasons, so we'll see. Um, Weather chat. Go to the Tea Public the Tea Public Store, cigaronpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Finally, here's Cigaron Song of the Week. We got to dedicate this one to Lucy, our uh, spokeswoman. Lucy Fur. <laughs> Uh, we're going to end the show with Dead Babies by Alice Cooper from uh, his album Killer. came out in 1971. Uh, you know, Alice Cooper was in the news recently. Yes, he was, making his boomer dad comments. You know, it's kind of rich, though, because, you know, this guy kind of made his career wearing makeup and, A like, going with gender expectations. Yes. And now he's saying that being transgender is a fad. I think it, that's kind of taking it out of context a little. A bit, but he did kind of start spouting off like right-wing anti, anti-trans things like, oh, they're going to go get you in the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, he is, like, how old is Alice Cooper now? He must be in his 80s. Or if not, he's coming up so, to his I 80s. bet you seven, late 70s, mid-70s. Yeah. And I mean, he hasn't been cool since the spiders weren't even around. Like, that's the last time Alice Cooper was cool. You know, I saw him, though, like, probably five or six years ago at the Pantages, and it was great. Oh, he puts on a show yeah. now. but it was like an awesome show. Name an Alice Cooper song in the last 20 years that is not shite. Does he even still? Does he still release? He puts records? out albums every fucking year. He doesn't stop. Yeah, no, I, I'm not familiar with those later. I don't even know any of his albums, like... I think Pesta, the last... Past the Spiders. Yeah, yeah, Past the Spiders, I think was probably the last one. But yeah, he like was interviewed with us by Stereo Gum, and they started asking about like Paul Stanley's comments and Dee Snyder's you know, take yes. on, uh, on transgendered uh, kids. And so he started railing against the whole woke thing and wondered who was making the rules. And then uh, he mentioned, they, they say birthing person instead of mother now. At some hospitals, yeah, apparently. Oh, okay. And so, uh, yeah, he was kind of upset. And then he was like, "I can really see someone taking advantage of this. A guy can walk into a woman's bathroom at any time and just say, I feel like I'm a woman today,' and have the time of his life in there. And he's not in the least bit. He's just taking advantage of the situation. What What do you think you're they're gonna do in the bathroom, Alice Cooper?" At the time of their life in the bathroom, what, like grabbing tampons of the tampon machine, like the dispenser? Yeah, he's obviously never been in a women's bathroom because a lot of them, are, like I say this from somebody who worked in pubs for a while, women will destroy bathrooms. Men don't tend to. Oh, men women, do. Men destroy bathrooms. Too. Yeah, you destroy bathrooms with your shit, but women will destroy bathrooms not only with their shit, but you've with also got their periods. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, the women are just as gross as men. He's like... That's going to happen. Somebody's going to get raped, and the guy's going to say, well, I felt like a girl that day, and then I switched back to being a guy. 
Really? <laughs> really? Alice Cooper? It's like a Shania Twain song. It's like, dude, I don't think that's going to happen. Ever. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I would be surprised, put it that way. Um, but yeah, so Alice Cooper, I guess, is a bit of a boomer, an angry conservative boomer. But he is. He's, he's old. of the age and he's wealthy. I, I, I can he understand that. He plays golf. Like, yeah. But I got to say, the song Dead Babies is a great song. And the Classic. album Killer, you should definitely pick, pick up and check that one out. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 910. Till then, take it sleazy. It's all bad
I am now going to book the Fulton County photographer for my Christmas card. <laughs> because, Judge, and I say this with a unblemished record of heterosexuality. He looks good. And, and he looks hard.